0: What I want to talk tonight about is um, another indicator of spring, at least historically and biblically, that may not just be immediately on your list, but hopefully we'll kind of think this way in the future. Spring is the season of war in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It is the season, spring, when kings go out to war. And there are multiple references for this in the Old Testament, and we're going to kind of hone in in just a little bit on one verse and one passage specifically. Um, but that is the framework of what we're going to be talking about tonight. You will notice that there are Bibles on your tables. That's unusual. I want everyone to grab a Bible, either your Bible or one on your table. And if any table is short, let me know because there's extras in the room. Everyone grab a Bible, a physical Bible. Does anyone need one or not have one? Katie? Come get this one. And it, this is a brand new Bible. I've been waiting on, if you need it and want it, you can have it. It's been floating around the property. And I'm like, why has no one picked up this Bible? It's so pretty. Um, so I want us to do something together. No matter how well you know or don't know your Bible, I just want you to, to do this with me. Because the reality is, in your hand, you hold a weapon. It is a sword, right? The, the sword of the Spirit, is the Word of God. Um, But we really do know how, we have to know how to use that sword. And I think sometimes um, we take for granted, either because of of iPhones or Access or just knowing things, that people know how to use these. So what I would like everyone to do is pretend that you don't know how to find what we're going to look for. And we're all going to go to the table of contents in just a minute. And we are going to look up first chapter 20, so open your Bible to the table of contents in the very beginning, like any book you've ever read, and you'll see up here the Old Testament, and you'll see the New Testament, and under the part that says Old Testament, I want you to scroll down probably in the first, half or the first column until you see 1 Kings, and you'll see a page number by it. My Bible, it's page 296. After you find that page number, I want you to go to First to Kings. So you just go to that page number. If you don't know how to do this and you've never done it, because we're all doing it together at the same time. So once you get to First Kings, you're gonna to go to chapter 20. So you'll just look at the bold numbers on your page where it says 1 Kings at the top, and you'll just keep going until you get to 1 Kings chapter 20, 1 Kings chapter 20. So something that I think moving forward that's important to me, I don't want anyone that comes in this place to think that someone else in this room knows their Bible better than them, either by privilege or history, or has some type of of foothold or or elevated reach, because the truth is, we really only understand the Word of God by revelation of the Holy Spirit. So we are all students every day in this together, and we all can be humble in learning together how to use this. So any intimidation or barrier that exists between anyone in this room and the Word of God... It's going to come down because this is your sword, and you have to know how to use your sword. But the Holy Spirit's going to teach you, and your sisters are going to teach you, and it's a safe place for that. So with that in mind, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 20. Now I just briefly want to explain to you what is going on in 1 Kings 20, where we're at in the Bible, where we're at in the context of our faith. 1 Kings is in the Old Testament. There are two parts. In the Bible, there's the Old Testament. It reflects the Old Covenant, a a covenant, a relationship that God had with a people. Those people were the nation of Israel. The New Testament is where Jesus in the flesh enters the scene, and he makes a new covenant with his blood. And we are part of that as Gentiles that were not part of the original nation of Israel. So really, Easter, we just celebrated the commencement of the New Covenant. So this story is in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. So you're thinking... What does that have to do with me? Well, it has a lot to do with you. Two things primarily that I just want you to think about as we dive into it. God is never changing. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how you see the Lord interact within the context of whatever covenant is being dealt with in the old or in the new You can understand things about his character that you may not just understand in only reading the New Testament unless the Holy Spirit chooses to reveal that to you. On the flip side of that, the devil is not creative at all. Satan has the same gimmicks over and over again. So in the Old Testament, a lot of times what you'll see is the devil, or Satan, um, rising up an actual king and trying to destroy the nation of Israel because Jesus was going to come out of that nation. So you'll see all of these gimmicks and attacks come through it, a literal kingdom where it is under the dominion, the possession of Satan and darkness, the prince of the air. So like these are real kings we're going to read about in First Kings in just a minute, but you have to understand that, that one of the kingdoms is literally being guided by Satan for the purpose of destroying all of God's people, no matter whether they were walking with God or whether they were walking in rebellion themselves, Satan had a purpose and it was to destroy or take into captivity the people God was in covenant with. So that was then, now it works the same way. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God comes, Jesus came that we have life and have it abundant. And he never tires from attacking God's people, either literally to kill them, to destroy them, to steal things from them, or to put them into such a place of captivity that they're just surviving from one day to the next. So, um, need to keep that in mind. So, coming into this story in 1 Kings 20, and this is just a really wild story. I hope that later you'll just go and read it again for yourself and think, did Did those things really happen? Because it sounds so bizarre, some of it. But... um, if you have heard the story of Elijah, Jesse used to talk about this story a lot because she loves it. But It's a famous Bible story. There was a severe drought in the land. Elijah was a prophet that was on the run from a crazy witch woman named Je- Jezebel. And um, in that time, um, Jezebel and her husband, King Ahab, had killed almost all of God's prophets. God's prophets, of course, were the people that spoke forth the word of God. And all of them, except for about 100, were dead in this time. So the nation of Israel, which is led by King Ahab, who is married to the evil Jezebel, these were God's chosen people. So Really low standard, okay? They are not good people. They have done nothing to be in that position. But God is going to honor his covenant with them, and he's going to try, and he's going to to work with them in a battle situation. But I want you to keep in mind that they not only have despised God, that they killed and persecuted his prophets. So that's literally one chapter before we get to the story that we are now. So Elijah kind of reconciles and calls out on behalf of the nation of Israel to God. God sends down rain. He confronts Ahab. Ahab like kind of receives it. Jezebel still tries to kill Elijah, so he goes on the run. So in the midst of all of this evil of murdering godly people, of of sending Elijah, one of the, um, in addition to the hundred, one of the other prophets that was still alive. God, um, God chooses to speak and show up for an evil king. And um, I want to anchor in, as we go into the story, in 1 Kings 20, verse 22. So if you'll scroll down with your finger to verse 22. It says, so this is talking, most of this is about King Ahab, who is not a good king, but he's part of God's covenant with Israel named Ben-Hadad and that is who Satan's using. So a prophet is coming up to Ahab in verse 22 here and it says, then the prophet came near to the king of Israel, that's King Ahab, and he said to him, go strengthen yourself and observe and see what you have to do for in the spring the king of Aram or the king of Syria will rise up against you. So God is so gracious that even though this king really could care less about the Lord, he sends word to him to say, you better get ready because your neighboring country to the east, they want to come and they want to destroy you. So I'm going to back up just a little bit now to the beginning of the chapter and I'm going to read quite a bit of text. Um, so if you'll bear with me or follow along in your word, we really do have to read verses 1 through 34 from 1 Kings 20. So I know these are really weird names, but again, King Ben-Hadad, he is um, he's the one, the king that is wanting to destroy the nation of Israel. King Ahab is leading the nation of Israel, which is in a covenant with God, but he has a rebellious heart himself. And so um, let's observe a lot about both of them as we dive into the word. Okay, 1 Kings 20, verse 1. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army, and there were 32 kings with him and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and fought against it. Then he sent messengers to the city, to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your most beautiful wives and your children are also mine. The king of Israel replied, It is according to your word, my lord, O king. I am yours and all that I have. So real quick, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. This is the enemy of Israel, King Ben-Hadad, and then King Ahab. And Ben-Hadad says, I'm coming to get you, and I want everything that's valuable, including your wives and your children. And the response of King Ahab is, okay, everything that I have is yours. He was, he was not a good king. Verse five Then the messengers returned and said, Thus says Ben Hadad, Surely I sent to you, you, give me your silver, your gold, your wives, your children. But about this time tomorrow I will send my servants to you and they will search your house and the houses of your servants and whatever is desirable in your eyes, they will take into their hands and they will carry away. So you see that King Ahab a little bit was like, I'm going to give him what he wants, probably thinking he's going to spare my life if I just give him what he wants. And then when he gives the enemy, King Ben-Hadad, a little bit, King ben says, okay, but I actually want more and I'm coming for it tomorrow. So now King Ahab is thinking a little bit. So in verse 7, it says, Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Please observe and see how this man is looking for trouble. <clears throat> for he sent for my wives and my children and my silver and my gold. All the elders and all the people said to King Ahab, Do not listen and do not consent. So he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my Lord the king, all that you sent to your servant at the first I will do, but this thing I cannot do. <laughs> and Unbelievable. You can have all the first things that you requested, but everything else that's desirable, I'm going to have to put my foot down on that. But my wives and my kids and my silver and my gold. Okay. Uh, and the messengers departed and brought him word Again. Ben Hadad sent to him and said, May the gods do so to me, and more also if the dust of Samaria will suffice for handfuls of all the people who will follow me. Then the king of Israel, that's Ahab, replied, Tell him, that's Ben Hadad, let him who girds on his armor, let not him who girds on his armor boast like him who takes it off. That's a really good fighting line, like if you want to use that um, sometime. He's just saying, He's talking smack, basically. But when Ben-Hadad heard this message as he was drinking with the kings in temporary shelters, he said to his servants, station yourselves. So they stationed themselves against the city. Verse 13. Now behold, a prophet approached Ahad, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? behold. I, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet, I will deliver them into your hand today and you will know that I am the Lord. Ahab said, by whom? So he said, thus says the Lord. I'm going to do it by young men of the rulers of your provinces. And then he said, well, who's going to begin the battle? And the prophet answered, you will. The lie, Then he mustered the young men of the rulers of the provinces, and there were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people, even all the sons of Israel, which was 7,000. They went out at noon while ben hadad was drinking himself drunk in the temporary shelters with the 32 kings who helped him. And the young men of the rulers of the princes went out first. And ben hadad set out and told them, saying, "'Men have come out from Samaria.'" Then he said, if I have come out for peace, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. But if they have come out for war, take them alive. So they went from the city, the young men of the rulers of the provinces and the army which followed them. And they killed each man. And the Arameans, those are the folks that were following Ben-Hadad, they fled and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, escaped on a horse with a horseman. The king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots and killed the Arameans with a great slaughter. Okay, so this is their initial battle. This is going to stretch out for three years, to be clear. And it's important that you realize King Ben-Hadad escapes the situation. So it causes great calamity to his army and to his country, but the Lord, who spoke through the prophet, rose up an unlikely group of young men to go out and lead the army of Israel, and they took out a huge army. So this is after that victory, when the prophet is coming back to say to him, the anchor verse that we read earlier that says, then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said, go strengthen yourself and observe and see what you have to do, for in the spring, the king of Syria or Aram is going to come back up against you, okay? Just what you want to hear when you're coming out out of a battle. It's going to happen again. Get ready for it. Now the servants of King Aram said to him, Their gods are the god of the mountains, and they're stronger than we, but rather let us fight in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And so they go on, and they, they having no revelation of, of Jehovah, of, of Yahweh, and they make battle plans, not to fight this time on the mountains, but to come against God's people in the plains, because they say God is the God of the mountains, and He's not the God of the plains. So this time we're going to attack them in the riverbeds in the plains. So I'm going to hop over um, I'm just going to keep going for a second, actually. At the turn of the year, which or at spring, Ben-Hadab mustered the Arameans and went up to fight against Israel. The sons of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went to meet them. And the sons of Israel camped before them like two little flocks of goats. But the Arameans filled the country. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel and says, Thus says the Lord, because the Arameans... Have said, the Lord is a God of the mountains, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give you this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So again, to be clear, the Lord won the first battle for them. The Lord is going to win the second battle for them. So they camped one over against the other for seven days. And on the seventh day, the battle was joined, and the sons of Israel killed off the Arameans, a 100,000 foot soldiers In one day. So really in two days, in two different battle scenes, the Lord has brought a crazy and unusual and miraculous victory. But the rest of the Aramean soldiers fled to Aphek in the city. And the wall then fell on 27,000 men. So God can close up the Red Sea and kill people um, when they're causing harm against his children in the Old Covenant, or he can make walls fall down on them, or he can open the earth. He can do a lot of different things. That's in the Old old Covenant. Okay, God does not deal um, in the same way today, um, not with his believers. He only deals faithfully with us. It says and Ben-hadad fled and came into the city in an inner chamber so again this king gets loose from the battle scene the one that keeps instigating harm the one that keeps wanting Dominion of Israel and possession of Israel. But remember those words, dominion and possession. He gets loose again. So his servants say to him, We have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. So let's put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel, and perhaps he will save your life. What do you guys think he's going to do? He's going to save his life. He's going to pardon him. It's not going to go well. So let's keep reading. Now the men took, excuse me, so they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to king of Israel and said, your servant Ben-Hadad says, please let me live. And he said, this is King Ahab, is he still alive? He is my brother. Have you guys observed any type of brotherly affection between Ben-Hadad and Ahab that has wanted to take dominion and possession over everything in, in his reach? verse 33 now the men took this as an omen and quickly catching his word, said your brother Ben-Haddad then he said go bring him then Ben-Haddad came out and he took him up into the chariot with him so, just want everyone to understand this is the man that has wanted to kill him but now they're in the chariot together verse 34 Ben-Hadad said to him, the cities which my father took from your father I will restore and you shall make streets for yourself in Damascus as my father made in Samaria. Ahab said, and I also will will let you go with this covenant. So they made a covenant together. Not only did he pardon him, not only did he invite him into his chariot, he made a covenant with him that they would do some co-developments together in in their various territories. (laughs) And I would just want you to note too the false promises of restoration that were coming from Ben-Hadad to Ahab at that time. I'm going to give you back what was lost. And so Ahab is just thinking, "Wow, this sounds like a good this sounds like a good deal." But it was not a good deal. So real quickly, we need to hop over to three years later, which is in chapter 22. So chapters are not always days in the Bible. That's a, this is a good reminder of that. First Kings 22. It says, three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. In the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. This is something really important that I want to explain about the Old Testament. Because you may be thinking, who's King Jehoshaphat compared to King Ahab and King Ben-Hadab? The nation of Israel, earlier in the book of Kings, it got divided into two Territories. Israel was the northern part, Judah was the southern part. Judah was generally those who feared the Lord more. Not always, but for the most part. So if there were some decent kings, they usually were the ones of God's people that were part of that covenant that were from Judah, and Israel's kings were usually pretty evil. So the good king, Jehoshaphat, comes up and he's going to partner. to partner with King Ahab, because they're in a covenant. They're all part of the nation of Israel together. They're just sort of divided at, at this time. Now, the king of Israel said to his servants, "'Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and we are still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram?' And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. They were, they were part of God's family together. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. So I, just, I mentioned earlier that only 100 prophets lived. I don't know if you remember that, so this has not been that long a period of time, so you may be asking, who are the 400 prophets? Well, they probably were were prophets that prophesied through a variety of mediums and spirits, Um, so not exclusively prophets of Yahweh, but prophets of whatever the day entailed. So he gathered these 400 men and said to them, shall I go up to battle or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of Yahweh here? Is there not a prophet of the Lord so that we may inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And presumably, this is the same prophet um, from chapter 20 that had approached the king and given him words of knowledge and, and information that were helpful. So they go and they get, um, they get this prophet. Uh, Micaiah is his name. That's a really cool name if anyone is needing to... I have a baby name picked out already, and it's not that, but I think Micaiah is a really cool name. So this is the name of the prophet, and he comes up, and he prophesies. I'm going to paraphrase. He says, yes, go in, go into battle. Um, you're going you're gonna to win. And the king says, basically, you're not telling the truth because you never say things that are favorable to me. So what are you holding back? And he says, well, I see all of the people of your nation scattered like sheep and returning home after their victory. And then he goes on to say, but as for you, you have let this evil king go twice that the Lord has destined for destruction. You have partnered with him to live, and there's going to be a price that you'll pay because of it again. This is Old Covenant, not New Covenant. And, of course, he got really upset again, and he threw him in prison, only with a little bit of bread and a little bit of water, and essentially sought to, to starve him. And so from this, I just want us to try and glean a few Things, a few takeaways. I know this is a lot of words, so really I just beg you to go read it on your own and sit with the Lord and be like, what is going what is going on here? Like literally, how could someone in the capacity of king be so willing to listen and consent to an enemy making requests that are demanding life and livelihood from around him? How does that happen? Does it happen today? in our lives, so, through subtle thoughts, through things that, that we adopt as mindsets, through generational bondage that, that we walk in. Yes, it, it does. So I want to first talk about five ways not to do battle that we can learn from this story. And then I want to look at, at five ways um, that we can battle. And I think that you'll see the faithfulness of God, and I think you'll see... Um, the foolishness of man, and you'll see some of the schemes of the enemy as we um, as we talk through these. So, the first way that we should never do battle, and we live, we we are in constant warfare. We know that from from the New Testament, from the epistles, that First Kings twenty verses three to six, the very beginning, we should not negotiate or submit to the enemy. We don't. I think George Bush is the one who said we don't negotiate with terrorists in the context after 9-11. And that is something, that is absolutely the mindset that we should adopt when it comes to light and to darkness. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, there is no room for negotiation. There is no other kingdom but the kingdom of light and the kingdom of heaven that may be established in our paths. So we do not negotiate We do not submit to the enemy. And I just want to, as we're working through these, I just encourage you to just ask the Lord, Lord, is there an area that I'm I'm doing that, that I am am compromising? I was in a situation recently where I felt backed into a corner. I esteem honesty really highly. I think we all should, but it's very important to me. And I was in a situation with multiple people where I was asked a question that I really could not fully answer directly in that moment. Um, Now, make no mistake, I will come back and correct it, and I'm in the process of that. But I knew the enemy was like, I've got you backed into a corner because I I want deceit to come out of your mouth to protect someone or whatever the good excuses may be. So that's just kind of an example that comes to mind of when you're thinking, I would never negotiate with the enemy. Well, I think like a white lie is a really good example of where you're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do this to protect someone else. I'm going to partner with deceit to let less than the truth flow out of my mouth. It's a really minor example, but it's just an example to try to get us thinking. So again, we don't negotiate nor submit to the enemy. Two, we don't go to battle without seeking the counsel of the Lord and elders. If you'll remember, this king negotiated twice with his enemy before he reached out to the elders of the land. By that time, he'd already given them everything on a dinner plate, and he had opened that door wide open. When he finally spoke with the elders, they actually gave him wise counsel, and they said, do not listen and do not consent. That would have been really helpful before he started his negotiations. And I also want to point out, if you'll remember, God is so gracious. God knew that King Ahab would not turn to him because he did not fear him. Yet twice the Lord sent the word of the Lord through the prophet to him. He did not inquire of the prophet. The prophet went to him and he prophesied, this is going to happen, prepare. This is how you need to go to battle. So imagine what battle looks like. If you do it while seeking the counsel of the Lord and the word of the Lord. Number three, we don't covenant with the enemy. Again, I just want you to have that visual of him inviting the enemy into his chariot and then making a covenant with him. And you know what? Yeah, there was a three-year break. Maybe things seemed okay for three years, but ultimately, were they okay? They were not. This king dies in the end, and people from his, I mean, it, it caused peril in all directions because he allowed this cycle to continue by covenanting. Um, I heard Kimberly Needham say one time that the sometimes we covenant or we build strongholds when when we say we can never or we will never I and mean, just be mindful of your of your words it's not like we're making a conscious choice to say hey satan come get in my chariot with me today but when we say like oh this is god can that person is so far gone god can never redeem them this issue is so difficult in my life i've just accepted this from from the this challenge and and i'm just going to just going to, like, move on with it. It's too big for the Lord to handle. That is covenanting with the enemy. It's putting, it's putting his authority and his dominion over a part of your life. So we have to not do that concerning warfare and be mindful of our thoughts and words concerning it. Um, number four, don't cherry-pick the word of the Lord. When we got to chapter 22, we saw that he called on 400 prophets that he was okay with. Because they were going to prophesy favorable things. But then when the godly king, Jehoshaphat, said, where's the prophet of Yahweh? Is there just one? He said, there's one, but I hate him. Because he didn't want to know the truth. He wanted to know what he wanted to know. And if he had been seeking the truth all along, his life would have been spared. I have no doubt about that in my mind. So we have to be, so yeah, we don't cherry pick the word of God, both um, from our actual Bibles and from trusted sisters and, and, and pastors who walk with the Lord and who pour the word of the Lord into, into our lives. Sometimes truth can be uncomfortable, but truth can be life-saving. And then the last one is letting, we don't let live what the Lord has committed to destruction. And I think a great picture of that is chains and walking around in chains. Uh, We studied about the Statue of Liberty this week, Emmett and I, and you probably remember this, but the Statue of Liberty in um, her right hand has the torch, right? It represents freedom. In her left hand, she holds the Declaration of Independence, and at her feet, you may not have noticed I actually didn't know this, but at her feet are um, broken chains. And it is a picture, aren't you proud to be an American? I am, as I say that, but it is a picture from another nation to ours that we are a free people. And so when I think about this, letting live what the Lord has committed to destruction, I think about how many times we walk around in chains when he has broken those and he has dealt with those and we continue to put them on. So again, we don't battle. In those ways, those are not not wise. We don't negotiate and submit to the enemy. We don't battle without seeking counsel. We don't battle by covenanting with the enemy, especially for gain and on the promise of false restoration. We don't cherry pick the word of the Lord when we're going into battle. This verse sounds good. This one doesn't sound good. I'm going to lean this way. And we do not let live what the Lord has committed to destruction because ultimately it will cost you along the way. So, on the flip side of that, how do we battle? This will be pretty obvious with what we just walked through. And the verse attributions are by all, all of these. But we need to seek, desire, and obey the word of the Lord. Again, God was so gracious to bring the word of the Lord to King Ahab. But imagine if he had actually been seeking the Lord in the way that King David had done, in the way that King Jehoshaphat has done in a, in another battle that you can read about in the history books of the Old Testament. And we have to obey it. When the Bible says, listen, in the Old Testament, or when it says, hear, hear, like, hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord is one. It actually means listen and obey. So If we're not listening and obeying, we're really not hearing. You do not successfully hear from the Lord if the response is not both a cause and effect of listening and obeying. To hear the Lord is to listen and obey. So the second way that we battle, we battle in the way that God says to battle in the who, what, when, where, and how. If you'll remember in 1 Kings chapter 20, again, it was a lot of text that we read, but the prophet said, or Ahab said to the prophet, who's going to win this battle this way? And he said, you're going to go get the young men of the rulers, 232 of them. These are the ones that I really want you to get, that the Lord wants you to get ready, and he's going to do it through them. And then King Ahab asks another question, who's going to initiate this? Because if you'll remember, Ben-Hadad's the one that thought up the war, but the Lord says to King Ahab, no, you're going first. You're starting. You're going to march into battle. And all of those details, they matter, and the Lord wants to speak into them. So, um, So asking the Lord about the details of the battle in our lives is very important. Number three, we do form godly alliances. Uh, in chapter 22, we see King Jehoshaphat of the southern part of the nation of Israel comes up, and he's godly. He is the one that requests a prophet of Yahweh come up. He seeks them out, unlike Ahab ever did. And uh, and he really brings a bit of the fear of the Lord into a situation. So in, we see with evil King Ahab, he covenanted and made an alliance both with ben haddad and with Jehoshaphat, and uh, there were totally different outcomes. One was life-giving, and one resulted in death. So you have to form godly alliances when, when you're in in battle. Be careful who you let into, into your camp and into your strategy room. Um, not everyone um, not everyone is a Jehoshaphat, and sometimes people, um, if they don't know the Lord, um, can be ben Haddads. And we love them, and we pray for them, but we don't get our wise counsel from them. So form godly alliances when you're in battle. Number four, you do need to strengthen yourself. The prophet said to him, I know you just got out of battle, but in spring he's coming back again, and you've got to strengthen yourself. So what does that look like to be battle, either battle weary or battle high? He'd won the battle at that point. I don't know how he felt about it. But to strengthen yourself, how do you strengthen yourself yourself? In the Lord, I just wrote down a few, a few things: feasting on the Word, fasting, meditating, fellowshipping with others, praying in the Spirit, surrounding yourself with iron. If I'm thinking about strengthening myself, I want to think about strengthening, strengthening my spirit, but also strengthening my mind and my my body. And I want to think, think also, um, just about all that 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 entails. I'll give a a different example in just a minute. But the fifth one is do consider what needs to be done. I think looking at the armor of God is a great example. If you you know that you're going to be going back into war, it's a time to look at your armor, to adjust it, to really evaluate, is my sword sharp? Do I know how to use my sword? Or do I need to go get my sword around another woman who really is wielding that sword a lot, and I'm, I'm seeing her or him or whoever just really um, doing a lot with the Lord right now. Like, sh- iron sharpens iron. That is, that is the Word of God. And so just making sure that you have everything logistically and practically that you need to go into battle. There's a season of preparation for that. The way that this came, this came about... Um, there's a radio guy in Louisiana that I talk with sometimes. And he, um, he had asked me to talk on the radio with him about this topic. And I actually was familiar with it because um, in 2018, in January of 2018, that anchor verse that I shared about come strengthen yourself, consider what you need to do, the, the, the enemy is going to come against you in the spring. I was reading my Bible one day, January 2018, and it, like, hopped off the page. That's called a rhema word from God. It's when the Lord is, you're in your scripture, and it just hops off the page at you. And, like, you just know that's, that's for you. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, I kept reading. like <laughs> kept reading. And then I felt the Lord be like, you better go back and pay attention to what I just told you. Um, and so I felt that very personally in, in that season. This was January, so I thought 2018 the enemy's going to come against me, which I knew Hearts at Rest was launching at that time. I, was, I sold a lot of real estate at that time. And so I, so I had this written on a marker board in my office that's now Ashley's office, but I just had this Bible verse by my work computer. And so I began to think about what this looked like for me, and, and I'll use this example. I knew that this attack would be related to walking out the ministry of Hearts at Rest that would ultimately be entourage. So I understood This is launching at this time, and the enemy's going to come in at this time. And so from a practical standpoint, I felt like the Lord led me at that time to say, okay, you're going to have to be wise with your time. So I remember three real estate transactions is what I had a grace to do at that time. Now, yes, I had to talk to my husband about that and, like, get his permission and that sort of thing. But I understood to, like, have a mind that was not divided to stay focused on being able to seek the Lord and walk out what he was asking me to do, it was going to cost me in other areas, meaning maybe I might not make as much money over here. I certainly couldn't devote as much time to it. And so so anyway, I just got some rhythm set up in that consideration of what you must do. And so this is an example I'll never forget March rolls around. And by that time, I'm kind of in that rhythm, but I've really kind of forgot about this. And I was sitting in church and received probably the first, it was in a text message from Janelle. And it was probably the first prophetic word I've ever received in my entire life because I did not grow up in an environment where um, that was in operation. And her text said, this was on a Sunday, because it was, don't feel shaken or shook, whatever the proper, and I'm like, I don't feel shook. I don't shaken. I don't feel the past. I don't feel like this. Like, okay. I don't feel trembling at at things coming my way that day. But boy, that week I remembered that word. And I remembered that the Lord had told me, this is coming. And it was like boo. It was like one thing after after another. My um my yeah, my sister-in-law lost a baby. There was a an uncovered conflict that came to a peak within generations of, of family. My husband went through an unexpected job transition at a time that I want to remind you I'd already capped with the Lord to do three real estate transactions, so got put in a position where I was the only only income. But what do you do? that like, Lord, did I hear you? Is that what you asked me to do? And it was like, boom, boom, boom but what was so precious about that time is that and I recognize it when I see it in other people it was a time uh, yeah it was it was war but I I mean the Lord had just made a straight path you just keep just keep walking just keep seeking me just keep doing the things I'm going to take care of those, and yes, everything was taken care of, but it was such a sweet time of nearness with the Lord, because he had to take care of those things. He had to fight my battles, and so I always think of the story of Mary and Martha that we know, where Martha's worried about much, and Mary is at the feet of Jesus, and he says, leave her alone, because she's chosen the better portion, and sometimes in the heat of battle, it is the better portion season. It is the season that brings you to the feet of Jesus where you have to stay. That is where you, that's like, it's where you have to stay because you know that it's going to be in his strength that you're going to have to get up, stand up, go out, hear, listen, obey, do the thing. And so I, I just, I want to, to bring this back and, and Janelle's going to come up in, in just a minute and kind of close us out in a time of ministry and, and offering, but while we are in this format, there are godly women throughout this room, and every one of you is battling something. There is no doubt in my mind. The enemy doesn't wait until spring to attack, just to be clear. It was just a point that I wanted to make. Kings, kings had to prepare for springtime. You know, you know who didn't prepare for springtime and got into a lot of trouble? King David. King David was a good king. But, you know, when King David had an affair with Bathsheba that then resulted in a murder, it was springtime and he was not out at war with his army. He delegated that task. What he had authority over, he remained back in his kingdom and he sent his soldiers out. He did not go to war in the spring. So the Lord has given us places of authority. As believers, we walk in his authority. And I'm just, I'm encouraging you. I'm begging you. I'm telling you. Don't shy away from war. Go into it. Go into it with these things that we see are, are, are wisdom and how to do it. But know that these godly women around you, if you're just battling something and you're like, I'm stuck. I don't know how to battle or I do feel like maybe I unknowingly have kind of like allianced with the enemy and didn't mean to, let a woman around you that speak into that, minister to that. We'll linger up here and, and be available for that. But Janelle, you know, I just want to invite you to come and anything that you have on your heart to, to share as we, as we close out. It kind of feels heavy, but that's what, I, that's what I had and that's what I wanted to share. So, here you go. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram.